there, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of Season 1, Reading with Grace, where we will continue reading The Unwanted's Island of Legends. Today we will be picking up from chapter 24, but first a recap of chapters 20 through 23. Alex attempted to bring the whale sculpture he reconstructed to life, Spike Furious, using the live spell in the triad book. He successfully did it, but forgot Spike was a whale and couldn't breathe on land. With quick thinking, he put Spike to sleep and transported her to the ocean. Then, he proceeded to wake her up where she could actually survive. Soon after she was woken up, she quickly retreated from Artemis, leaving Alex. Aaron quickly returned to Quill after visiting the jungle and found some ice in Haluki's house, as well as everything in it covered in water. Eva Fathom met up with someone, but we have no idea if they are a friend or a foe. Eva is also watching Aaron very carefully. And to end, Alex made one final check with Sam Heed about the list of people coming on the rescue to save Skye and Crow's mother. That's the end of the summary. Enjoy the episode! 24. Another Journey Begins In the morning as Captain Ahab brought the ship around from the lagoon, the warriors lined up on the shore. They were a determined bunch. Next to them were stacks of crates full of supplies. They weren't sure how long they'd be gone. Charlie knows you're in charge, Alex said to Miss Morning. If he hears from Matilda that anything strange is happening in Quill, he'll go straight to you. Charlie moved to stand at Miss Morning's side and gave three thumbs up. And can you use a seek spell to reach me? Miss Morning said. She presented Alex with a small piccolo charm. Here, she said. I made this when I was about your age. Now it's my gift to you. You can use it to let me know if you have an emergency, and if you're not too far away, I'll send Squirrelicorns out to see what's happening. I've got Megan here, too, to help Mr. Appleblossom and me with the Warbler children, so I think we'll be all right. Alex nodded. He handed Miss Morning a gift as well, a tiny stone that he panted to look like a spider. And you can use this to send a seek spell to me. He also handed her the triad spell book. Take good care of this, and don't forget to wear a robe while I'm gone. Miss Morning smiled. She looked healthy again and happy, too, but though there was a hint of sorrow still in her eyes. She put her hand on Alex's arm. I feel like we have come a long way, don't you? Like we can handle things now, without him. I mean, I know you did it all alone, but now it just feels, I don't know, easier somehow. Alex smiled. I know what you mean. We still have a lot to figure out, but we just know more now. I don't think he expected any of it, or he would have prepared us. He would have, Alex. I'm sure of it. He tried with me, you know. He was getting anxious about training someone, just in case, and of course he trusted me. But I was always too busy with my music or my classes, or simply not interested. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry I wasn't more help. I'll try to get you back for that, Alex teased. I believe you will, Miss Morning grinned at him. Alex held out his hand. We'll see you when we see you, Miss Morning. Miss Morning took it. Claire, she said. Claire, Alex repeated. He felt like a grown-up. Take care, Alex. Make wise choices, and you'll be fine. Alex nodded, surprised by the welling of emotion in his chest. It made him think of his father, and the Warbler children, and how Claire's words were something a parent should say. Words Alex had never heard from his own parents. Thanks, he said, turning away. He looked at the lineup of the crew. My, we are a motley bunch, he said, making a joke to chase away the lump in his throat. From giant florins to tiny kitten, from gruff simber to a half-dozen rigid squirrelicorns, from crazy Captain Ahab fresh from the prop closet, to efficient Miss Octavia and her flying appendages, 
and from unwanted boy mage Alex to brave-hearted Sky and Crow, the Artemian army came in all shapes and sizes and colors and origins. But they were the strongest assembled crew Alex had ever seen. It occurred to him that he should tell them that. He looked at each person and creature, really looked at them, thinking about their strengths, and then he addressed them in a strong, steady voice. "'You make me feel safe,' he said. "'You bring honor to Artemis and to those who are in need of our help.' He scanned the group, all of whom stood silent in reverence as they listened to their mage. He noticed a tear slipping down Skye's cheek, and it almost made him choke up once more. He cleared his throat and continued. "'There's no place I'd rather be than on a rescue adventure with you.' He paused. "'We have a hard journey ahead, and we don't know what will happen. We'll face lots of trouble, I'm sure. It seems to follow us, doesn't it? But I won't despair if you don't.' He smiled and brought his fist to his chest. The others, even the statues, did the same. "'Any questions?' There was silence. Alex nodded. Well then, crew, all aboard. Twenty-five. A new energy in the palace. When Aaron woke safe in the palace despite his nightmares, it felt like his brain had sorted out a dozen things for him, as if an instruction book had been handed to him overnight. Aaron knew what he had to do. It was so clear. He propped himself up in bed, took a piece of paper and a pencil from beside his table, and let the pencil roam over the paper like he'd done before, drawing blob-like circles and crooked triangles and squares. It helped him to think. And that's exactly what he needed, to think just a little bit differently, like he'd done when he came up with the plan for the favored farm. Only this time, Aaron needed to realize all the potential that was right in front of him. To be clear, he knew that following Justine's ways and quill was still the best plan, and he would continue following that. But Aaron had a new element to consider, which Justine never could have dreamed of, and being the strong, intelligent, wanted that he was, he his very own mind had come up with it. Aaron needed to be in that jungle, winning over and training that army of misfits. That was all there was to it. Those creatures were his secret weapons, and he could tell no one about them. But he couldn't neglect Quill, because his people needed some direction too, and definitely some nudging and motivation to get them ready for the ultimate fight. So while Aaron was out training the jungle creatures, somebody had to be in the palace to watch over things in Quill, to slowly mold the wanteds and necessaries into stronger, more loyal society to get them angry again. They needed to build up their anger to an intensity to want to fight like before. It might take a while, but with perseverance and a solid plan that included Aaron's secret weapons of the jungle, all of Quill would one day come together for a major attack on Artime from all directions. The Unwanteds wouldn't know what had hit them. It was absolutely, utterly the most perfect plan in the history of Quill. Aaron set his scribblings aside and got out of bed. He hurried to wash and dress and headed straight to his office. Breakfast! He barked at a passing maid and then, Secretary! Eva Fathom was in earshot. She hurried over to Aaron's doorway. Yes? Has the work begun on the opening to Artemis? Yes, Eva said. People are moving as quickly as they can. We had to assemble. I need you to halt the work immediately. Eva's mouth hung open. Slowly, she closed her lips. May I ask why? Aaron leaned back in his chair. I've decided that while it's important to close off Quill completely from outside aggressions, we need to deal with the ones encroaching on our own island first. Obviously, we can't take over Artemis if we don't have access to it. Once we have control of their property and what we do with the unwanteds, we'll build a new length of a wall to enclose everything, including that mansion within Quill. He folded his arms, pleased by his own cleverness. Eva blinked. That makes a lot of sense, she said evenly. Do you mean to take over the mansion? It's quite stunning inside. Perhaps I will. Seems a shame to let it go to ruin outside the wall. 
Aaron knew well enough what it looked like, but Secretary didn't need to know that. Secretary hesitated. I'll stop the workers right away. Have them take down whatever they've put up so far. Right, she turned to go. Wait, tell me, who of the former governors was most loyal to Justine? Eva thought for a moment. Strang, of course, Aaron nodded. That's my thought, too. Please invite him for dinner. Tonight? Tomorrow. Also, who from our restorers might be interested in a government job, but that Zerulean, perhaps? You've sent them to the ancient sector, sir. Aaron tapped his lips. Ah, yes, so I did. I've forgotten why. Eva Fathom remained quiet as he pondered. She was not about to remind him. I could see if they're still alive, she said, though it's been quite a while, so it's doubtful. Yes, do that. If they're still biding their time, order the sector overseer to hand them over to you. If you're sure. Of course I am. The maid came in with a tray of breakfast for Aaron, set it on his desk, and left. Eva waited for the door to see if there was anything else. Aaron picked up the spoon and stirred something mushy in a bowl. He tasted it and made a face. Also, gone to Leary Rattrap. Eva narrowed her eyes. What about her? Invite her to dinner as well. Eva pursed her lips but said nothing. She told Aaron that Gondolier was up to something strange, but she couldn't force the high priest to make wise choices. Very well, she said. Anyone else? She refrained from suggesting even ridiculous thought that came to her head now that Gondolier had been brought into the picture. Claire Morning, perhaps. How about Alex Stowe? No, that'll do for now. If you do find Bethesda or Liam, invite them as well. For dinner tomorrow? Yes. With Governor Strang and Gondoliri. Eva couldn't imagine a more dreadful grouping of guests. Aaron was beginning to look annoyed. Yes. He shoved a spoonful of gruel into his mouth. And get some decent food from the favorite farm, since our kitchen staff doesn't seem to understand what good food tastes like. This is disgusting. Eva Fathom began with the easiest task, lugging armlums of fruit and vegetables from the favorite farm to the military vehicle, and then stopping for chickens as well. It wasn't her job to get the food, but she didn't trust the kitchen staff to know right from rotten, so it was easier to do it herself. Next, her driver took her to the former Governor Strang's house. He still lived in the governor housing, but he hadn't been seen much since Aaron had taken over. No one knew or seemed to care what he was doing after he got fired. Eva walked up to the front door and knocked. No one answered, and so she knocked again. This time she heard a noise inside, and soon the door opened to crack. Who is it? came Strang's familiar voice. It sounded duller than usual, if that were possible. It's Eva Fathom, secretary, that is. Eva tried to peek through the crack in the door without appearing to be nosy. What do you want? The high priest Aaron Stowe would like to invite you to dinner tomorrow evening. The door opened farther, and Strang stuck his head out. Eva Fathom tried hard not to stare, for the young man's appearance was quite different from before. His hair was long and unkept, his face unshaven. His eyes were bloodshot, and he had gained quite a large girth since Eva had seen him last. "'What for?' Strang asked. "'I'm not exactly sure,' Eva said. "'Something about a job in the government. He knows you were loyal to Justine, and he'd like to talk with you.' Former Governor Strang narrowed his eyes. "'What time?' Eight o'clock?' Strang hesitated. "'Fine.' He nodded once and shut the door in Eva's face. Eva smiled condescendingly at the door and went back to the vehicle. To the ancient sector, please, she told the driver. At the ancient sector, Eva hesitated before she went inside. She had been very close to being sent here by Justine, and Eva didn't like the look of this place without any warmth, that was for sure. No one did. She waited at the small runaway gray table for someone to notice her. A worker looked up. Time's up, eh? Who sent you? No, no, secretary said. I'm not checking in or out just yet. I'm on an errand for the high priest.
Sure, the woman said. No, truly I am. I'm to inquire after two individuals, Bethesda de Gloria and Liam Healy. Are they still housed here, or are they not? The woman stood. Bethesda's gone and buried. Liam's heading to the sleep chamber today. She looked out the window. He's standing there now, waiting to go in. Eva stepped to the window. Oh, dear. Well, by order of the high priest, you'll need to put a halt to it. I'm to collect him and his things and take him to the palace. The worker narrowed her eyes. What proof do you have? Eva's lips quivered. She looked at her wrinkled hands resisting on the window frame, and then she closed her eyes and used the code phrase that Justine had given her that would overrule any other measure put in place, her voice so quiet not to be overheard. In the name of Quill, and upon your life and mine, it shall be done. The worker was quiet. Apologies, she said. Eva turned to look at her. Get going, then, before they kill him. The woman nodded, flustered, and nearly tripped over the chair leg on her way out. Eva hesitated, then followed. Liam was certain to be overwhelmingly grateful, and she was determined to be on the receiving end of that gratitude when he was. Twenty-six. A Visit to Gondoliers. Liam sat down in the back seat of the quilletary vehicle next to Eva Fathom. He leaned forward, elbows on his knees, and put his face into his hands. He shook while Eva instructed the driver. He shook as they drove off, and he even shook as Eva patted his shoulder a few minutes later. Finally, he took in a deep breath, sat back, and looked at her. I don't know how to thank you for this, he said in a low voice. Eva smiled. One day, you will know exactly how to thank me, she said. All you need to do now is go along with whatever Aaron says. She looked out her window. If you want to stay out of the ancient sector, I mean. Liam regarded her. But I, after the mage, and Claire Morning, and the pantry, I just can't. Eva turned toward him. Listen to me, she said, softly enough that the driver couldn't hear. You can say things with your lips that your heart doesn't feel, and for now you will. You must. Liam's lips parted. He faced forward and closed them again. Oh, of course. In that case, is that what you... Good. She looked straight ahead. Good. We'll talk again another time. The driver stopped outside Gondolier Rattrap's house. Eva got out of the vehicle and then she bent down and looked in. I think you should come with me. Liam fumbled with the handle and got out, and together they walked up the path to the door. The last time Eva was here, the house had glowed blue, but this time there was a faint orange glow coming from behind the curtains. Do you see that? She whispered. Liam nodded, eyes wide. Eva knocked on the door. Pay close attention to everything. Scuttling noises came from inside. Eva knocked again. When at last Gondoliery opened the door, a rush of hot air blew over Eva and Liam. Eva disguised the surprise on her face at the sight of their old restorer, but Liam stared. What do you want? Gondoliery asked. Her face was red and blistered in spots. Her wild gray hair was blown back, and her knuckles were covered in burns. She pulled a thin blanket around her shoulders and gripped it tightly around her neck as if she were cold. Eva smiled politely. Aaron, uh, I mean the high priest, is wondering if you will come to the palace for dinner tomorrow night, eight o'clock. What for? The questions were sounding familiar. I'm not sure exactly, Eva said. Something about a possible government job. String will be there, and Liam too, and me, of course. Eva knitted her brows thoughtfully. I think. Gondolieri stared. Why in Quill would I ever want or need to spend time with that arrogant snot? Eva smiled. I wouldn't know. She realized something else that looked strange about Gondolieri. Her eyebrows were gone. Eva glanced over Gondolieri's shoulder, trying to look inside. 
She could smell wood or something else burning. But you're invited nevertheless, and I do hope to see you. It'll be nice to catch up again. Liam slowly rose on the balls of his feet, trying to see into the house. Gondoliri sneered. Don't count on it. She closed the door swiftly. All right, then, Eva said, smiling brightly at the closed door. She turned to Liam and muttered, Let's go. They walked back to the vehicle. Gondoliri's front door opened again. What time did you say? Eight o'clock, Eva smiled and got into the jalopy as Gondoliri slammed her front door. Liam climbed in beside her. Great quill, he said. That was... Eva pressed her fingertips on his arm. Save it, she muttered. She leaned forward to speak to the driver. Back to the palace, if you please, sir. They drove in strained silence the short distance to the palace. When they got out, Eva slipped the driver a sackful of fruits and vegetables she had picked up that morning from the favorite farm. Here, take these, she told him, and give my best to your family. Thanks, the driver said, dubious. Thanks a lot. My wife will be very grateful. Just as I am grateful for you, Eva said. I shall call on you again when business takes me into Quill. The driver bowed his head. I am at your service, madame. She waved him off and the two watched him drive away. What is going on here? Liam asked under his breath. I'm not quite sure I understand... You. Eva tilted her head and opened the door to the palace. Hmm, she said. Whatever do you mean? Twenty-seven. The Team Once the ship had sailed and everyone had stowed on their things, Alice gathered them on the deck. Do any of you know what sports are? he asked. Lonnie, who had been studying a wrinkled piece of paper, folded it quickly and put it in her pocket, then lifted her hair in the air along with a few others. I read about it. It's kind of like having a battle. Everybody on your side has a job to do, and if everybody does their thing right, you can win against the other team. People do it for fun. I don't get why you'd want to have a little battle just for fun of it, but whatever. Sammy and Karina Holiday exchanged a grin. They both loved a good battle and would probably choose to do it for fun every day if they could. I saw that, Lonnie said. Anyway, Alex interrupted, that's the kind of mission this is. Those of us who have been training with Miss Octavia will have certain parts to play in the rescue, and everyone else will have different roles. If we do it right, it'll work perfectly and no one will even notice we've stolen Sky and Crow's mother away. That's what we're going for, a rescue without a fight. Karina looked disappointed. She was a still bit mad from the last battle on Warbler, where she and Sina had been knocked out at the very beginning by sleep darts. Alice continued laying out the plan. Ideally, it'll be simple, he said. We'll wait for Sky and Crow's mother by the skylight. Her name is Copper, by the way, which is also the same color as her hair, so that will help you identify her. Alex glanced at Sky to make sure he'd gotten the details correct. Sky nodded. Her hair is long and a little bit lighter than mine, she said. She wears scarves over it, or at least she did, and she has golden orange eyes and a thorn necklace as well. Sounds like she's not hard to miss, he said. Right, Crow? He'd taken quite a liking to the quiet warbler boy. Crow nodded. She's beautiful, he said. Karina's hand flittered to her mouth and her eyes glistened. It's settled then, she declared, patting on the boy to the knee. We shall save her. Karina had a young son of her own and was no doubt thinking of him. She gave Skye's shoulders a squeeze. Once we've spotted her and alerted her to our presence, we'll communicate a time for her to sneak out to the fishing hatch and we'll take her from there. And if she's unable to access that hatch, or too afraid because she can't swim, we'll have her return to the spot by the skylight. Florence can smash in the window and we'll lower a rope and pull her out that way. Sam, he yawned. Sounds easy enough. 
You probably won't even need us. Well, that's where phase two comes in. Karina perked up her ears. Phase two? I'm listening. Remember the animals? The sea creatures caged underwater on the other side of the reverse aquarium? Some of us saw them the first time we were there. Sky, Crow, Simber, and Karina nodded. Are we going to set them free? Crow asked, excited. Alex grinned. Yes, at least we'll try. They shouldn't be trapped like that. I can't stop thinking about them. He also couldn't stop thinking about Spike, but that was another matter. Cool, so we'll figure out how to release them, Samhead said. He narrowed his eyes. Wait, what kind of creatures are we talking about? I'm not sure, Alex admitted. We didn't get a good look. So they could attack us? I suppose they could. Henry frowned. I'm not sure I have any medicine to treat injuries from sea creatures, he muttered. Sibra glanced at Miss Octavia. Can you communicate with water creatures, Octavia? I've never done it before, but I can try, the art instructor answered. I won't know until we get there. The team began to buzz with excitement. Alex helped them talk it out. He was glad to see their enthusiasm. But Skye's face wore a look of dismay. Alex studied her, and then walked over and knelt on the deck by her side. What's wrong? She looked at him. You all seem more excited about saving the creatures than saving my mother. Alex touched her arm. Only because they didn't know about the creatures. It's a new development, one I'd only been thinking about recently. They've known all along we were going to save your mother. And, I should add, they all volunteered their time to train for this rescue, because of you and your mother, not because of the sea creatures. They're committed to weeks and weeks of intense training. You know more than anyone how hard we've worked. He smiled, remembering the time she tried to leave on a raft to rescue her mother on her own, before she even knew how to swim. Impulsively, she took her hand. The entire team will be on backup in case something goes wrong with your mother. Believe me, it's our first priority. Skye squeezed his hand. You're right, she said. I'm sorry. I guess I'm just anxious about it. I really am grateful. Alex smiled. Reluctantly, he pulled his hand away and stood up. I'm glad you believe me. And now I'm going to make sure everyone else feels the same as we do about the mission. Thanks, Alex, Skye said sheepishly. Then she leaned in and whispered, Was it your will that got you so interested in the sea creatures? Alex rose. Um, no, he said. I, um, I've got to... He rolled around and pointed his thumbs at the group, indicating he had things to do. He flashed an apologetic smile and stepped away to address the others, leaving Sky looking confused. It was just a question, she muttered, but he was already out of range. Okay, okay, Alex said, waving his hands to get the team's attention. Quiet down, and let's not forget that our goal here is saving Copper. We'll help the creatures if we can, but only after we've got Copper safe and sound. Clear? Absolutely clear, Simber said. The others nodded. Of course, that's what we're here for. Their voices rang out full enthusiasm, which eased Alex's mind. He looked at Skye, eyebrows raised. She put her thumbs up and smiled. Thank you. Alex breathed a sigh of relief that the crisis was averted, but he had some jumbled feelings churning inside him that he couldn't seem to straighten out, in addition to his frustration over his inability to concentrate. His embarrassment over his failures with Spike, Alex couldn't help feel but a bit guilty, because he, too, was more than a little excited to rescue the sea creatures. Perhaps one of them would be so grateful to be free that they would become Alex's special water creature, fully devoted, one who would replace the spot in his heart left cold and empty by his terrible mistake with Spike Furious.
Twenty-eight, watching and waiting. Interspersed with the cries of "There she blows!" from Captain Ahab, mews from Triplicate Little Kitten, and the occasional rumblings from Florence and Simber, the conversations on board the pirate ship were mostly earnest and thoughtful as the day progressed into night. And conversations between Alex and Sky were virtually non-existent as Alex strove to avoid all mention of Spike. Though the longer he kept the secret, the more he began wanting to confess everything to her, so he could get it off his chest. Sky wasn't sure what to make of it. After the kiss on the beach, the last thing she expected was for Alex to grow more distant. She had thought the opposite would happen, but she had plenty ease on her mind to focus on right now, like rescuing her mother. Everyone on board was trying to focus on their mission. Sky, most of all. So she didn't give Alex's behavior much thought. As they sailed past Warbler Island, the captain knelt by the ship far from shore as Alex's command. They didn't want Warbler to mistake them as coming for an attack, and they kept that ship dark until they were all well past the island. It was much better not to let them know they had Artemis left vulnerable. Fox, Kitten, Ahab, Simber, and Florence made up the statue brigade. Miss Octavia and a handful of squirrelicorns represented the creatures, and Alex, Lonnie, Sam, Heath, Karina, Seen, Henry, Crow, and Sky were the human factor. It was almost perfect. It would have been nice to have Megan with them, but she was only of the few who could handle performing the dissipate spell, which would remove the thorn necklaces from the warbler children. Alex knew from experience that it was such a painstaking spell and so dangerous that a person could only do a few of them a day without tempting a great error. The tiniest shaking of a hand could cause irreparable damage, or make someone completely disappear, as if it had happened quite tragically to Grimly, the Squirrelicorn, during a battle on Warbler. Alex missed having Meg on this trip. While he and Megan hadn't spent a lot of time together lately because of all the things they were busy with, he still considered her one of his best friends. Alex walked to the stern of the ship and looked back toward home. The island of Quill was there, he knew, even though it was dark. Above his head, Simber flapped his wings now and then, but mostly he soared with them outstretched, riding the breeze. The ship moved slowly during the dark hours so they wouldn't reach Pirate Island until daylight. Since Pirate Island it could erupt or sink under the water without notice, Alex didn't want to be too close, and he wanted to be able to see. When we get close, you'll make sure someone looks after Kitten. Alex smiled in the dark. Yes, Henry will take her. They were silent for a bit, and then Alex asked, Can the captain swim? I don't know. It won't help to ask him, so I'll keep an eye on him. I would imagine he'd sink like a rock. Everybody else can swim, Alex said. I was careful about that when I was first choosing the group. It may not matter if we get sucked into the volcano, Simmer said dryly. That's not going to happen, Alex said. He hoped very much that he was right, but there was no telling when the fire island would suddenly decide to plunge underwater. Have you considered anchoring the ship a distance away and taking a smaller crew on my back to save the woman? I have, Alex mused, but you can't possibly carry Florence, can you? We may need her, the cat growled. No, you're right. I could probably hold her a short amount of time, but not more than a few seconds. And I don't like having the others so far away if something goes wrong. Simber nodded. I agree. 
So I guess we just have to wait offshore for the island to sink and resurface and risk it. It's underwater now, Simber said, his eyes trained on the spot where the island should be. It's been down for quite a while. Oh, well that's good then. We'll try our rescue when it comes up and the volcano fire dies down. I'll keep you informed, Simber looked down at Alex. You should rest while you can. Alex nodded. I'm headed that way now. Thanks, Sim. Simmer growled in response, which Alex knew was the statue's way of saying, You're welcome. Everyone slept restlessly as they waited for daybreak. When Sky awoke, she sat at the bow of the ship gazing forward, occupied with her thoughts. Alex left her alone. His mind was filled with preparations and plans for the rescue. And as much as he longed to sit with her and talk through his failures with Spike, he had to let that go and focus on the rescue. As it turned out, Alex didn't need Simber to tell him when Pirate Island was surfaced. The captain made it quite clear. There she blows, he cried. Blasted creature, wretched elusive sack. Captain Ahab seemed to think the island was the well he'd been chasing for years, and no one could convince him otherwise. Aye, the whale will be the death of us all. There's really no need to be so dramatic, Alex muttered, forgetting the statue was a theater prop, and so was inclined to be drama. He sat up to watch. He could barely see the volcano outlined against the sky. Water shot up from the mouth of the volcano, followed by fireballs and enormous flames lighting up the sky. The Artemians could hear the slap of the water hitting the sea, and the roar of the hits of volcanoes spewing molten lava. They were far away enough that the big wave rolled toward them like manageable, so they stood at the railing to observe. It was the most spectacular, thrilling, and frightening sight to see. As the entire ship watched in awe, no one, not even Simber, noticed the slivering creature rise up from the murky water behind them, blinking its electric eyes.